If you have a Bible, pull it out and look at 1 Peter chapter 5 with me again this evening. We also have some Bibles underneath chairs, so you can pull one of those out as well. 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, which if you're a part of UPC, you know that this, this morning we looked at this same exact passage and I said that we would look at it again tonight from a different angle. This morning, the point of the message was to look at what it teaches about Jesus being our chief shepherd. But tonight what we're going to do is assume we've got that as our foundation and now we're going to talk about how God calls men into the office of elder to be shepherds over God's people. So the passage again is 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. Hear God's word. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The word of the Lord. It's certainly a wonderful pleasure for me to think of Matt Ryman being ordained as our newest assistant pastor. And just so that you'll know, he is being ordained to become a teaching elder, which is a very important and honorable place to serve in God's kingdom. God doesn't call everybody to be a teaching elder, but those that he calls, it is a pleasure, it's a privilege, it's a high responsibility. And so what I'd like to do tonight is just make sure that we as a congregation are well taught about what elders are for, because Matt is going to become an elder, a teaching elder. And just for your information, the ruling elders that we introduced earlier, and there are others in the church too, are elders just like teaching elders. We're all elders, same level and everything. It's just that a teaching elder, in terms of what Matt and Seth and I do, are those who have gone through seminary, have gotten a seminary degree, some theological training, and gone through the process that I detailed earlier. So what I wanted to do is look in this passage at its teaching about elders, and I have three things I'd like to share with you. This will not be a long sermon. Don't fear about that. But I do have three points, as usual. What I'd like to do is tell you that elders have a big job, elders have a big problem, and they need to believe in a big cross. So that's our plan. Let's talk about how gospel-centered eldering is supposed to look in our church. First of all, elders have a big job, and I think everybody here would agree with that. Elders have a really big job. In this passage that I've read, I'd like to point out four key words And let these four words be for you, Matt, and for the rest of us, kind of uh, uh, a primer on what it is to be an elder. The first word is the word elder. It's right there in verse 1 where Peter the apostle writes, he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. So what is that word all about? Well, it's the Greek word presbyteros. See, that's where we get the name Presbyterian from. There's no real mystery to what a Presbyterian is. Whenever you see a Presbyterian church, you know that it has elders because that's the Greek word for elder. 
What is an elder? Well, technically, an elder is someone who is experienced and mature in the faith, who is thus able to teach the word of God and make wise decisions that affect the church. That's what an elder is. It's one of two offices that Jesus has intended for his church to have, and just two. One is elder, the other is deacon. It originated, apparently, back in the Old Testament day, back in the nation of Israel, One of the earliest examples of elders back in the Old Testament is in Exodus chapter 18. And I think it's somewhat of a humorous setting for when elders uh, showed up in that chapter. Because what happened was there was a guy named Moses and his wife doing a lot of work leading the people of Israel. And Moses' uh, father-in-law, whose name was Jethro, visited one day. And if you've ever had a father-in-law tell you that you're doing something wrong, uh, that can be a bit awkward. But that's that's exactly what happened in Exodus 18. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, showed up on the scene and he looked at what Moses was doing and he said, and I quote, Moses, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. So select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And Moses' father-in-law said, this will make your load lighter because these men will share it with you. What practical advice, right? That was from Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. And that's exactly what Moses did. He appointed some of these men who were known and recognized as elders, as leaders, as wise uh, even sages in the in the nation of Israel and set them up as as leaders, as judges, and we would call them as elders. See, elders were recognized for their maturity in the faith, for their walk with God, for their wisdom, having gained that in their walk with the Lord. As you probably know, elders have to meet certain qualifications. And the, the Bible even includes these qualifications. They're in two different places, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1. One of the reasons why God put the qualifications in the Bible is that elders are elected by the people. In the case of an assistant pastor like Matt, uh, according to our rules, he was elected by our elders. So that's a little bit of a twist. Uh, If Matt were an associate pastor, and I'm hoping one day that he and Seth both will be associate pastors, they will then have to be elected by you. You will put that to a vote. Uh, so Matt and Seth, you guys keep that in mind, um, (laughs) work hard. Um, but nevertheless, it still is the process of an election and the elders of our church elected Matt to become our assistant pastor. So Jesus, who is, as you know, the head of the church delegates a part of his authority to these men called elders. He asks them, he requires them to give oversight and government to his beloved fold, his flock, the church of Jesus Christ. That's one word in this passage. It's the word elder. The second word that I'd point out is the word shepherd. It's in verse 2. Take a look at that word. And we talked about it this morning, so I'm not going to elaborate too much on this one. But the word shepherd really means what it says. It is someone who cares for people, someone who tends the flock of God. And we saw this morning that shepherds do at least five things. They feed people. They take them to water or drink. They give them rest. They guide and lead them. And finally, they protect them. And so the elders who are here this evening are charged by God to do those five things. 
because they are shepherds of the people of God. They make sure they get fed the word of God. If they don't teach it themselves, they make sure that the teaching is biblical and whole and healthy and right and accurate. They take them to drink of the water of the Spirit. They give them rest. They make sure that margin is made in their lives. They don't overtax them. They don't push them. They don't drive them. And fourth, they lead them. They lead through making decisions, through setting examples. And finally, they protect them. They protect them from false teaching. They protect them from... Uh, bad people from enemies and they aid the protection in spiritual warfare as well so those five things are the duties of elders because they are considered as shepherds the third word i'd like you to look at is the word overseer you see that in verse two it says be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care serving as overseers now in some of your versions it might say the word bishop and this is actually where some denominations get a third office Some of you, I'm sure, are aware that some churches have elders, deacons, and bishops or some variation on that theme. But actually, this verse proves that an overseer is the same thing as an elder. So it's just two offices. And what Peter is telling the elders is that you are to serve not only as an elder, not only as a shepherd, but as an overseer. So what's an overseer? Well, here's another Greek word that you've heard, episkopos. You've heard of an Episcopalian church? That's where that word comes from. Episcopeo is the Greek word. And what it means is to almost, it's very similar to being a shepherd, actually. There's a little bit of a difference there. But it means to care for people, to watch out for people, to look after them. And another thing that episkopos can mean is to visit them. It's very interesting that elders are called to visit to to meander around among the people of God like a shepherd meandering around among the sheep. So elders are called to be there among the people, to meander among them, to know them, to visit them, and that type of thing. It just, just like Jesus who said in John chapter 10, he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So the elders who are here tonight are called to know the people. Obviously in a big church, how is that possible? Well, you start off with a life group, perhaps, if you're in a life group. You start off with those that are in your circle of influence, and you know them. And if we have enough elders, we hopefully know the people well enough to be able to oversee them well. It means to put the needs of your sheep above your own, just as Jesus did. Jesus, the good shepherd, who lay his life down for his sheep. As overseers, elders must at times talk to people about sin in their lives. And so this brings up the whole subject of church discipline. Sometimes elders have to get into the messy stuff of a church. But I'm glad to say that our elders do that. They care for you well, and they, they do get messy at times. They give counsel about difficult situations. They pray for people. They lose sleep over people. I think that the, the concept of an overseer comes into real sharp focus in Acts chapter 20. Here is where Paul, the apostle was saying goodbye to some elders in the city of Ephesus. And I think he speaks very directly to the the work of an overseer when he said to those elders, keep watch over yourselves and over the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And then Paul said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. So see, one of the important works of an overseer 
is to make sure we guard the people of God from those who would disrupt the body of Christ, who would teach false doctrine to people. So we've got to be on our toes and make sure that false teaching and savage wolves don't come in to harm the body of Christ. The fourth word I'd like you to look at is the word example. It's in verse 3. We've seen elder, shepherd, overseer, and now example. It says in verse 3, um, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. What's an example? Well, I think everybody knows what an example is. It's someone who sets the pace, someone who is supposed to be the model for the congregation. If somebody is wondering, how is a Christian supposed to act? What is a Christian supposed to believe? How are Christians supposed to live? He or she should be able to look to the elders for the answer because we are the visible representation of Christ to the congregation. That doesn't mean that we are perfect. Far from it. I'm going to say more about that momentarily. But it does mean that we who are elders need to be doing our part to be sure we are growing and maturing and staying healthy and believing the gospel and showing the church the way forward. You're to say to the church, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what an example does. What have we seen? Elder, overseer, shepherd, example. Do you agree with me? The elder has a big job. Those are huge. It gets worse when you read our book of church order. It says in chapter 8 of the book of church order, I'm going to read this to you and let you get a sense of what our Presbyterian church looks to elders to do. It says that it belongs to those in the office of elder to watch diligently over the flock committed to his charge, that no corruption of doctrine or morals enter therein. They must exercise government and discipline and take oversight not only of the spiritual interests of the church, but also the church generally when called thereunto. They should visit the people at their homes, especially the sick. They should instruct the ignorant, comfort the mourner, nourish and guard the children of the church. They should set a worthy example to the flock entrusted to their care by by their zeal to evangelize the unconverted and make disciples. All those duties that private Christians are bound to do by the law of love are especially incumbent upon them by divine vocation and are to be discharged as official duties. They should pray with and for the people, being careful and diligent to seek the fruit of the preached word among the flock. And I haven't even mentioned the attitudes that Peter mentions along the way in this text. He doesn't just touch upon duties, elder, shepherd, overseer, example. But did you even notice that he touches on how the elder is supposed to be doing those things, with what attitudes he is supposed to be doing those things? In verse 2, he says that we are to be willing. That means we do these things freely, voluntarily, delightfully. He says to not be greedy in verse 2. And you're not paid, elders, so... What does this mean for you? I think it could mean that you're not greedy for the attention and the status that you might hope to gain from being an elder. Thirdly, he mentions being eager to serve in verse 2. And in verse 3, he says not lording it over people. That means being humble, not domineering. Boy, when you add all this up, both the the four words that we looked at, the commentary from our book of church order, and then the attitudes that Peter touches on, You've got to agree with me that this is a humongous job. This is a big job being an elder, whether teaching or ruling. No wonder that the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority, 
They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. And then the writer says, obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. And then the writer adds, pray for us. (laughs) Are you praying for your elders? In light of all of the things that they're called by God to do, you really should pray for your teaching and your ruling elders because elders have a big job. So that leads right into my next point. Elders have a big problem. Look at verse 1 again. Because the thing I started noticing about this is the man who wrote these words. Peter. See, you mustn't forget the author. Simon Peter said, pardon me, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. See, Peter says, I'm an elder. I'm an elder. And I'm a witness of Christ's sufferings. Okay, let's think about that for just a moment. How did Peter witness Christ's sufferings? Not very well, sadly. It was Peter who was one of the ones who fell asleep, you know, when Jesus was in his worst hour of trial in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was Peter who ran away when Roman soldiers arrested Jesus. And, of course, you know that it was Peter who denied that he even knew Jesus when on three separate occasions somebody asked him about Jesus Christ. This is the man who was saying to be an example to the flock. Was he a good example? Does anybody see the irony here? Peter says, shepherd God's flock, and yet he had deserted the Lamb of God when Jesus needed him most. Peter says, be examples to the flock, yet Peter was frequently an example of fear Pride, self-centeredness, and faithful, faithlessness. See, you get the problem, right? The problem is that there are no perfect people to lead God's people. There are no perfect elders when you're looking for one. We're all broken and deeply flawed. I think the Apostle Paul put it best when he said that we have this treasure, this treasure of the gospel, this treasure of calling in jars of clay. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is not from us, but it's from God. See, folks, God has called broken people to do the hardest things. That's why if we have a big job and a big problem, we need to believe in a really big cross. And here I'm going to speak not just to the elders, but to everybody, because you've got the same problem. Every one of us here today is deeply flawed, very imperfect, far from what we could be or should be. We're saints, but we're saints who sin. And so we need to believe in a really big cross. Now, what do I mean by that? One of the things that we've talked about here at UPC quite a bit is the fact that it's very easy for human beings to try to bridge this amazing gulf between God's standard and our reality. You know, God's standard is up here. We've, we've been reading it about elders tonight. We've seen what he expects. And then here we are down here somewhere, broken, making mistakes, not doing all that we should be doing as elders, not doing what we should be doing as God's followers. And so what we do often to fill this gap is figure out a way to minimize one or the other of these things, maybe even both. We might try to minimize this part, our sin, by pretending that we're not as bad as 
the Bible talks about us being. We might minimize our sin by pretending to be somebody we're not, by defending ourselves, by hiding behind a facade of of righteousness and letting people think we're better than maybe we are and we're not struggling with things we really are struggling with. We fake our way through life. We might blame other people. See, those are all ways to kind of pull us up a little bit so this gap is not quite as big as it really is. And then we might even add that on this side, Let's minimize God's standard. Let's bring it down to size a little bit. We might say God's not really serious about these things in 1 Peter 5. God's not really serious when he says to us, Be holy as I, your Lord, am holy. You know, it's like what we do when we see speed limit 30. Like when I'm in my neighborhood. Does anybody go 30? I don't know that I've ever gone 30. I'll go 35 because we know that it doesn't really mean 30. What police officer in his right mind is going to pull me over for doing 35 in a 30-mile-per-hour speed zone? We know it's not going to happen. So we bring it down. We minimize the standard. And that's what we're often tempted to do as, as God's followers as well. See if we can make this gap get a little smaller by pretending we're better, by maybe pretending and performing to a to an easier standard on God's side as well. So we pretend, we perform, we hide from people our true thoughts and our motives. We downplay God's righteous demands. But do you know what that really ends up doing? It's, it, it, it quenches, it absolutely quenches the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the time Paul had to rebuke Peter? See, we're talking about Peter's failings, and here's another one. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells us about the time when Peter was playing the hypocrite. If you want to take a quick peek at that, it's Galatians chapter 2. And what happened was, I'll just summarize it real quick. When, when Peter came to this place called Antioch, Paul had to get in his face. He opposed Peter because Peter had claimed at one time that he had liberty to eat with uh, Gentiles. But when the Jews arrived, it says in Galatians 2 that he began, when the Jews arrived, to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And then I want you to hear what Paul says next. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, Paul had to confront him about his hypocrisy. But the part I want you to remember is that Peter was not acting or living in line with the truth of the gospel. So how can imperfect men, we're talking about elders tonight, how can imperfect men do the impossibly high work of the elder? Only this, by acting in line with the truth of the gospel. In other words, by believing in a really big cross. You know that big gap between God's standard and our reality? What fills that gap is not our effort to bring this up and this down. What fills that gap is the cross of Christ. And let's let it be as big as it can be. God's highest standard. Our weakest imperfections. And yet the cross can fill that gap up way easily. And, it, and Jesus wants it to fill that gap up. Jesus wants us to put all of our faith and all of our trust in what he did for us by his perfect life and by his death on the cross, living the life we should have lived, dying the death we deserve to die, and making us acceptable to the Father, 
Not by our works and our goodness, but by his works and his goodness. So what does it really look like then for gospel-centered eldering to take place at UPC? For us elders, teaching ruling elders, to be motivated not by a desire to pretend to be somebody we're not, and not by a desire to bring God's standard down one bit. So what, but what, what is it going to look like? Let me throw out a few ideas, and I challenge us as elders, I challenge you as God's people to do this as well. First is be broken before each other. For us to be broken and to, be, to admit where we're at. To come out of hiding. To confess our sins to each other. To ask for help rather than doing it all ourselves. And Matt, I hope you're taking all this in. This is all for you, but you're going to get a charge, so I'm not just talking to you. But this is for you and for all the elders and for all of UPC. Ask for help. Ask somebody to pray for you. And I think this is what Paul was really driving at when he said for us to boast in our weaknesses. To boast in our weaknesses. Instead of boasting about strengths and and things that we do so well, boast in our weaknesses and preach the gospel to ourselves and to other people. We say that all the time, but I'm never going to stop reminding us. This is what we do. This is UPC. This is part of our DNA. It's the most important part to let the cross grow bigger and bigger and bigger. That Jesus and the gospel might be the motivating force behind everything we do here at UPC. May we, the elders, set that example. May we set that pace so that all the rest of the congregation can live out of the power of the gospel as well. Not like Peter, but acting in line with the truth of the gospel as we should. What that's going to do is set the Holy Spirit free to do amazing things at UPC. Because when the Holy Spirit sees brokenness and when he sees honesty and when he sees repentance in the people of God, he moves in and does some amazing things. So may God bless that effort as we as elders and as you as God's people seek to be gospel-centered in the ministry that we have here at UPC.